Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Revelation chapter 2, we have been speaking about the apocalypse of Jesus Christ and we are continuing our series or whatever you want to call it uh, through the first three chapters of the book of Revelation and we have looked concerning the messenger who was Jesus Christ and now we're considering The recipients of the message, first of all, was the church of Ephesus in the first seven verses. And now in verses 8 through 11, we are dealing with the church of Smyrna. This morning is a communion Sunday, so we'll be receiving uh, the Lord's Supper here this morning in the bread and the cup and then of course we'll have a fellowship meal following we hope that you can stay and enjoy our time together as we fellowship and stir one another up to love and good works revelation chapter 2 verse number 8 and to the angel of the church in smyrna write these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Of course, that passage, this is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. And this passage, this message of Jesus to the church of Smyrna, just contains so many different things. I mean, it's, it's uh, really overwhelming, uh, some of the important aspects that are stated here and things that we need to consider today as well. Because although these were messages to seven specific churches in Asia Minor in the first century, uh, this, these are messages that he says that is being said to the churches and the churches need to hear. And so it continues down to this day of things that we need to hear. We looked at the church of Ephesus and how that they had lost their first love and we considered of the losing of our first love. Remember when we came to Christ, we had a love for Christ, we had a love for his church, we had a love for the people of God. And um, at some point in time, we had to come to a place of disillusionment 
And uh, we're talking about that in Sunday school, and it's a place that we all need to come to. And uh, the sooner the better, as Bonhoeffer says, uh, so that way we can move on to the true reality of the saints, and that is our identity and existence in Christ and him alone. Um, So I've been reading a biography about Bonhoeffer uh, that uh, Gary uh, got me, gave to me, and um, uh, I can't help but think about it as I read the last uh, part there where he tells them to be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That is the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was faithful unto death and he reached a point of sanctification in his life where he was willing to literally give everything for the cause of Christ. And um, so I can't help but think of him as I read uh, that passage. But we're not there yet. As a matter of fact, we are still up in verse number 9. We have been considering the works and tribulation and poverty and the wealth, right, of the church of Smyrna. And then there's this next interesting statement, right? And we have to cover it. There's no way that we can pass it by and skip over it, right? I mean, you have been thinking about that verse every time I read it. As a matter of fact, it's probably been hard for us to think about the works, tribulation, and poverty, and uh, so forth, when we know that the very next phrase in that verse says something that we know has got to be controversial. Jesus himself, remember, because this is Jesus speaking, right? This is the revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is speaking here, Uh, to this church in Smyrna, and he says, and I know the blasphemy. Now, when we think about blasphemy, we automatically start thinking about cursing God, right? Or somehow saying something provocative against God. Uh, You know, demeaning God in some way. But notice here he says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now this verse, or this last part of this verse, has been used by many people for many different purposes. Uh, Some have used this passage for evil purposes, and uh, to concoct all kinds of strange uh, doctrines and endless genealogies and things of that nature. But there is a specific truth that is being stated here by Jesus, not just to the church of Smyrna, but also something for us all to know and understand. Um, Now, I will say this before we get started, that there are, obviously, uh, well, first of all, there is a specific context that is being addressed by Jesus. That does not mean that there are not ways in which we can apply this. doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong to apply it in other aspects, and hopefully you'll see that a little clearer before we are finished here this morning. But I want us to look at these false claims. First of all, there's this confrontation that is going on with the church of Smyrna, in their locality, 
and they are confronting those who are saying they are Jews and are not. And that is a very interesting statement because we start wondering what was going on here. Were there people that were impersonating Jews? And uh, actually, you know, um, in Judaism, uh, you can uh, become a proselyte and convert to Judaism. So there's no problem there. This is not an aspect of there was people of a different uh, ethnicity who were pretending to be Jews. That's not what is being stated here, and that's not what is going on, because you could be a Gentile, and you can become a proselyte and become a Jew. As a matter of fact, that's the reason why there are so many different ethnicities that are Jews. You ever wondered about that? It's because you could become a Jew. Even if you were not physically of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, so we're not talking about here about stolen identity in that sense when it comes to bloodlines. We are talking about um, an understanding of what it means to be a Jew. So the church here in Smyrna, they were confronting this issue. And there was something that they had to say about it, and Jesus is commending them for it. The first thing we should understand that Smyrna is a Gentile church. Smyrna, although there may have been Jews in their community, the church was primarily a Gentile church in Asia Minor. And so they were confronting this issue uh, concerning the identity of those who are true Jews, whatever that means. And he commends them. Jesus is commending them for it. Jesus, who came as an ethnic Jew, is commending this Gentile group of believers for confronting those who say that they are Jews, and as Jesus says, and are not. But then Jesus goes a little farther, right? He says, but they are a synagogue of Satan. This sermon uh, will hit on some sensitivities in our day and age and culture. But this is very interesting because Jesus makes a striking turn here in his message as he's commending them for their works and tribulation and poverty, and then just, boom, comes out with this very controversial statement. So there was false claims there in their community by people, by individuals, who said that they were Jews, the chosen people of God. Isn't that how you would characterize that term? From a biblical point of view, a Jew is the chosen people of God. To be chosen by God. 
But Jesus is saying, no, these people actually aren't chosen by God. Actually, he says that they are the synagogue of Satan. Now, this is different than what came earlier. To the church of Ephesus, look in verse number 2. Here in the same chapter, as uh, Jesus is addressing uh, the church at Ephesus, notice what he says there with them. I know your works and your labor and your patience, and I know how you cannot bear with them who are evil, and you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. So in, with the church of Ephesus, they were dealing with a different situation where there were those who were falsely identifying themselves as apostles, and Jesus is commending them for confronting false apostles, those who were claiming to speak in the name of Christ, and they were opposing them. And so he commends them for it. But we're pointing this out just so you can see and understand that there are two distinctions being made here. So Jesus, to the church of Ephesus, is talking about those who are claiming to be leaders in the church but are false, they're counterfeit, they're imposters, They're not true leaders. They're not true apostles of the church. Here, he is saying something different when he says that he knows the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. So he's not using this term to identify it as false leaders in the church. Or he would have said, just like he said up in verse 2, in reference to the false apostles. Jesus uses the term Jews here specifically and for a reason. Because he is saying that there were those who are saying that they are Jews and are not. Saying that they were the chosen people and they are not. So the false claim of being Jews suggests that There is this attempt to align something false as the people of God. To falsely identify what it means to be the people of God. That's very important. So let that sink into your brain and remember it. These false Jews are trying to align something as the truth of what it means to be the chosen people of God. What it means to be of God and in God. What it means to belong to the family of God. They are making a false claim. Their false claim of identity is also a false claim against God. That's the reason why he says it's the synagogue of Satan. It is opposed to God. Such individuals may profess a connection to the Abrahamic covenant and to the heritage of Israel. However, Jesus Christ, in his divine insight, exposes the hollowness, the emptiness of these claims. 
He is exposing who these individuals are, claiming to be God's covenant people, but are not. Those who fall short in their faith and actions, but yet profess with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Therefore, they say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The first thing we need to understand from Scripture to be able to understand what's being said here is in Romans chapter 9 and verse number 1 where Paul says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, and the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the, father, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. So what's Paul, Paul acknowledging here, because he deals with this subject quite frequently, what is Paul acknowledging here? He's acknowledging that his ethnic kin, those who claim to be, or those who were descendants physically of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Paul's countrymen, He is acknowledging their lack of faith. We all know that there was many unbelieving Jews that did not receive the message of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, they had him crucified, right? Now listen, I know uh, that, um, you know, we, we have all this politically correct stuff today to deal with. Now listen, first of all, we are all responsible for the crucifixion of Christ because he was crucified because of our sins. And I know the Romans issued the execution. But it is also true. So that was an anti-Roman, what I just said. All right. So it's not anti-Semitic to say that the Jews instigated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, just as Peter said. You have crucified the Lord of glory. Okay? So that's just what happened. That is the historical narrative. And Paul here is giving the reality of the context of the situation, and Paul is is grieving over it because the lineage of people that Christ came through, that brought Christ into the world, Paul's saying, He has a great burden and sorrow because they don't believe. That's just the reality of the situation in Paul's time. But notice what he says in verse 6. This is very important to start to understand in relation to the battle that is going on. Because actually, when we consider Judaism and Christianity, Christianity is the statement The statement of Christianity is that, no, we are the true faith. We are the true religion. And Judaism is an apostasy of the true religion. 
But notice what he says. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. So there's some kind of special distinction that has to be made here. And then he says, nor are they all children, children of Israel, children of God, nor are they all children and children of Abraham because they are the seed of Abraham. So he said, just because they're of the seed of Abraham doesn't necessarily mean they're the children of Abraham either. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. And who is he referring to there? Jesus Christ. He was the promised seed. In Romans chapter 2, and very important to turn there, and I'll try to hurry, because, you know, it's a long chapter, right? And we don't have that kind of time. But Paul goes in, after he ends in Romans 1, with the complete... Uh, total depravity of mankind and then he starts speaking to his fellow countrymen in relation to this about and to everybody Jews and Gentiles alike as we will see he includes us all together but he starts to go into this aspect of hypocrisy and that was one of the things that Paul dealt with in relation to the law the hypocrisy of those who said that they were the guardians and keepers of the law but their heart was far from God. And so he's talking about the hypocrisy here. And so then he says in verse number three, and do you think this, O man, that you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul who does evil of the Jew first and also to the Greek. So now we see Paul is bringing this together. He started doing that in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, in relation to the Gospels, the power of God unto salvation to those who believe, right? To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so here he's making this connection again, that God is judging each individual on account of certain criteria, And we can see there's a lot of things listed here. You know, in chapter 1, there's the gospel. In in this chapter, we're talking also about repentance and righteousness and, and walking according to the will of God. But he says that it is to everyone, to the Jew first and also to the Greek here as well. And then he makes, because he says there's no partiality with God. God doesn't judge you based upon your good looks or lack of good looks. He doesn't judge you based upon your height or your 
vertically challengedness, right? He doesn't judge you based upon your eye collar, your hair collar. You don't have to be a blue-eyed blonde. He doesn't judge you based upon the color of your skin. He doesn't judge you based upon those things. There's no partiality with God. It's not your racial lineage. And then notice what he says. There's no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. As many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. And then he goes on to say that we're all under the law um, and um, under its curse. And so he is talking about the world as one, mankind as one. And then in verse 17, he says, Indeed, truly, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed. Here's the connection. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, the Jews, as it is written. Why? Because they were proclaiming something that was false, both in word and deed. And so then Paul says this, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? He is blasting their hypocrisy and their false doctrine and practice. And then he makes this statement, for he is not a Jew, in verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. It's not by race. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, or Hebrews, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 48, God says in his law, if a stranger who is not of your lineage If a stranger who is not of your seed, if he comes and basically makes a profession of the covenant and keeps the Passover and is circumcised, he shall be as one that is born in the land. 
It's not by race. Jewish supremacy is just as wrong as white supremacy or black Hebrew Israelite supremacy or any of the supremacies that everybody thinks that they have. That is not how you are accepted by God. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. So this is a work of God. This is why Paul tells the Galatians, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, And to seeds as of many, but as of one. Seed. In other words, he's saying, It's not in the plural, it's in the singular. And to your seed, who is Christ. And then a few verses later, he says, for you are all the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is Paul's message to the Gentiles. The message that Paul is given to the Gentiles is that in Christ, you have been engrafted into the family of God. You are the people of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. You can also read about this in Ephesians chapter 2, but obviously we do not have time. So here he says in Revelation chapter 2, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. In verse 9 of Revelation chapter 3, he says this, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. That is a message to a Gentile church. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, as he was confronting the unbelievers. Remember in the Gospels, where you would see that term about Jews that believed not, or a reference to the unbelieving Jews? See, the belief or the unbelief, that is the identifying marker of who are the people of God. The fact that they were Jews is just their ethnicity. Just like you would say a believing or an unbelieving American. Jesus tells the unbelieving Jews because the believing Jews are the people of God. The believing Jews are the chosen people of God. Just like the believing Scandinavian is the, people, is, is the chosen of God. But Jesus tells the unbelieving Jews in John chapter 8 and verse 44, you are of your father the devil. 
Again, notice the connection with blasphemy, synagogue of Satan. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Remember what was said to, again, the unbelieving Jews by John the Baptist as they were to bear fruit in keeping with repentance before John would baptize them. John's like, I'm not going to baptize you just because you're a Jew. I'm going to baptize those who believe and repent. And so John says, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So Christ here is addressing false identity and false doctrines. What is the false doctrine? Why is it blasphemy? Why is it the synagogue of Satan? And it's very simple. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, this explains everything. Not only does it explain everything about this controversy, it explains everything about everything. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If your claim to identity is a denial of Jesus Christ, then that is a blasphemy against the one true and the living God. John said, if you deny the Son, you deny the Father. All those who deny Jesus Christ, they're not the children of God. They're not the chosen people of God. The only way that we can be and the only people who are the chosen of God is of, are those who belong to God's chosen. And who is that? That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Israel of God. Jesus Christ is the chosen of God. And only those who are in Christ can claim and be identified as the chosen people of God because there is no other name given among men whereby they must be saved except Jesus Christ. No other. No other way to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that is the reason why we should preach the gospel to unbelieving Jews. Their only hope of salvation is through Jesus Christ. Just like your only hope of salvation is through Jesus Christ. Your hope is not through your Americanism. It's not through your European bloodline or whatever bloodline you have. It's not based upon your physical descendants or your physical characteristics it's faith we are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone whether you are red yellow black or white father we thank you for the gospel that goes to the whole world calls all men to salvation Lord, we pray that you would help us to have a concern for the whole world. That you would help us to love the world as you love the world. 
And Lord, we thank you that your love was to the whole world. Because every one of us in here this morning, as far as I know, are predominantly Gentiles. And so we thank you that you have loved the whole world. Sent Jesus Christ to come and die for us so that we might be saved and so that we might be adopted into the family of God. We pray that you would help us not to boast, thinking that it's something to do with us. For we are warned that if we Gentiles will boast against the natural branches, that we shall also be cut off. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to recognize that our position, our standing, and our state is only because of your grace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.